Hey, New Vintage, it's so good to see everybody today. How about that Tuesday night? Was Tuesday great or what? I mean, we had all sorts of great stuff going on. We had prayer, let's start there. Uh, we lifted our church and those we love and our city up in prayer. Uh, we ate some amazing poutine at H Brothers uh, to the point that they said it was, it was very similar to like a night at Cruising Grand for them. Uh, they ran out of meat. I mean, we absolutely did that great. And then KUSI came out uh, and did a story on the Grand. I want to encourage you to stick around at the end of the service today online here. We're going to have a video that will take some of the highlights from those three segments that they did uh, and show it to you as well. So we've got a great thing in store this morning. It's going to be great getting to spend some time together in God's Word. So uh, if you want to go ahead and get your Bibles open to Revelation chapter 3, we're starting a new series today called Sacred. And sacred, when we use that word, we often think, oh, whatever that is, whatever's being called sacred is just super holy. Yes, that's the idea. This is about God doing his sanctifying work in our lives. Because what the world needs today and what God desires isn't just more people to get out and do stuff. We need to do that too. But when we do that and our hearts aren't right, we can often do more harm than good. But when our hearts are right, when we spend our time growing deeper than what the world really needs right now, which is deep people, becomes something that's a reality and something that God uses in a mighty way here in our world. I love to eat. I love meals. You probably do too. Here in California, our governor has given us the green light to kind of slowly begin to reopen. Let me ask you to think for just a second about what is it that you are looking forward to doing most? Is it taking a trip to some place other than the mailbox or the refrigerator? Is it to uh, go out and watch uh, uh, your kids play sports again someday or to go to a baseball game or to do whatever. What is it that you're looking forward to the most? For me, seeing you guys first, but number two, I want to eat with people. I would love to be in a restaurant, like a good Escondido Mexican restaurant and get my enchiladas, get my carne asada, get my whatever and have the people that I enjoy being around be right there with me and us be able to eat together because there's something about eating together that is special. It's unique. That's why one of the best honors we can give to somebody is to invite them over to our house to eat. Cesar Chavez had a great quote about this. He said, if you really want to make a friend, go to someone's house and eat with him. The people who give you their food give you their heart. That's true, isn't it? Well, I want to take you to Revelation chapter 3, and there Jesus gives uh, this comment to the church at Laodicea. He says this, and this is a great text. If you want to memorize one, that will keep your life boosted throughout the week and keep your life on track and give you a target. It's this one. Here's what he says in Revelation chapter 3. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I mean, just think about that. Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, wants to eat with you. So first, there's always a knock at the door. Our job is to answer the door, right? Doesn't seem too hard. Go answer the door, but then to invite him in, and then to sit down at the table and to eat with him. And then as we talk, and hopefully we're doing mostly listening, even though he doesn't mind if we talk back, 
that we will take what he teaches us and then go forward from there and obey. So what meditation is, where we're going to head very soon, is it's that moment when we sit down at the table with God and we listen to what he has to say to us. Now, the act of God building our character in such a way that what we now have to really try to do becomes second nature. It becomes a part of who we are to where it doesn't take as much effort. So becoming gracious and kind, we don't have to try, okay, I'm going to be gracious and kind, you know, and really force it out. We become that way to where what takes real effort is to not be that way. That God imagines that there's a time and a place that there's a way that our character can be shaped in such a way through the spiritual disciplines, that through that communion with God that we experience at the table, that, that intimacy with God, that we have the ability to grow in our character in such a way that those things that we often have to try really hard to do right now can become a part of just who we are. Now, that's a work that God does in our lives. There are some things that we can control, for instance. We can drive a car, we can make phone calls, we can run an errand. But there are some things that we can't do anything about. The weather, for instance. Uh, weather is going to be the weather. There's not a whole lot that we can do about that. But there's, there's another category, a third category, if you will, like sleep. Now, you can't make yourself go to sleep the way that you can make a phone call. But what you can do is put on your pajamas. You can go get in your bed. You can turn the lights out. You can put on a noise machine or, or music that makes you tired. Or you can read a book or do things that set the, the table, if you will, for you to sleep. And so that's kind of an example of the rhythm that we have and how the spiritual disciplines function in our lives. There are things we can do to facilitate the work that God is going to do. We can set the table for him to begin the process of making us holy, but we can't do it in and of ourselves. That God has to, through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, as we engage him in the disciplines, he begins to reform our character in such a way. Think, if you will, about the difference between a motorboat and a sailboat. In a motorboat, I control the engine, and I um, start the engine, I control the speed, I go wherever I want to, but sailing is very, very different. I still have a role. I kind of hoist the sails up in the air, and, and I have to do certain things in order to make that sailboat ready. But unless the wind blows, I can't go anywhere. I'm, as they say, dead in the water. And that's another image, if you will, for how that process takes place. You don't earn your way into character formation. It's a symbiotic event where we, engaging God at the table, meaning not letting him in, sitting down, learning of him, trying to learn his ways, letting him teach us and guide us, that there, as we do, then the wind blows, so to speak. We set the table, we hoist the sails, and we do everything we can for the wind to blow. Spiritual growth is something that God does in us, and yet we participate as well. Uh, we do it by keeping ourselves in his presence. We keep listening. We keep obeying. We, we just keep going, and we keep going. And then when we hear what he wants us to do, we go obey. And uh, that's what the process is like. Picture two women. They both go to plant a vegetable garden. And in that vegetable garden, they both, on the same day, they take the same seed, they put it in the ground, and one then decides that she's good to go, and she walks away until harvest time. 
The other woman comes back on a daily basis and tends the garden. She comes back, she puts stakes in the ground, she prunes it. Uh, she does things that keep the fruit when it starts to grow from coming onto the, falling over onto the ground and everything. Well, when the harvest time comes, these two ladies come back and the one finds that the fruit is there, it's on the ground and it's starting to rot away. Animals have come and started to mess with it. Whereas the other woman, her garden is lush with fruit and vegetables and she can take that then and use it and it tastes twice as good as, as uh, the fruit from the grocery store but it has to be tended. We think sometimes, I think, that we can just kind of plant our faith and then walk away from it. But if you really want to bear fruit, it comes from attaching yourself to Jesus and then allowing him to, on a daily basis, fill you with good things. Secondly, God wants all of us all the time. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was in the law, he said this, in Mark 12, verse 30, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Okay, that process, that's the goal. I want to be able to love God with my whole being, heart, mind, soul, strength. Spiritual formation is the process by which we learn to love God with everything. We learn to love God with all that we are. So again, eventually with time, we don't have to work hard at being good and kind. We are good and kind. To not be good and kind would actually be the hard work because it would go against our new nature. So when I give my life to Jesus, then God begins that sanctifying work in my life. And day by day by day, he keeps renewing me over and over and over again. So how do we get there? That's what this series is about. It's about the process of our lives becoming sacred, set apart. And we do that in some ways through the spiritual disciplines. I know that the word discipline can be a little scary. It sounds like it's going to be miserable and terrible, but they're delightful. And what they do in the transforming work that God does in our hearts is a thing of true beauty. As Richard Foster says, the disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so he can transform us. So we don't cultivate good character God does that in us. Our task is just to place ourselves before God. It's not action control. It's not simply the act of saying, okay, don't do these things, making a list of those, and then through willpower, trying not to do those things. And it's not trying to earn our salvation. But it does require effort. Dallas Willard says, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. I really like that. So again, when you chase after something, when you really want to be uh, sacred, if you will, then we devote ourselves to it. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. He says, don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air, no. I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the race. So when you want something, you go after it. You put yourself into the training that that effort would require. 
I can remember being a young man and wanting to pattern myself after certain baseball players. So you would see a, a player that dove headfirst really hard into second base or they threw a particular pitch or they did something. And you may have done the same thing. You want to imitate who they are. So you often find yourself doing it in your games. The problem is the reason you can never replicate what they do during the games is because the way that they're able to do what they do in the games is not what's in the game. It's all the stuff before that. It's, it's the nutrition, it's the training, it's the practice, it's all of those things that make them able to do it. And a lot of Christians, I think, think that, oh boy, you know, I wanna do this, I wanna, I wanna be like that person or whatever, but they're unwilling to go into the training that it takes to become that kind of thing. And here in California, so many of us are so good at training our bodies and fitness and things like that, and that's awesome. But we need to make sure that we're just as dedicated or more to training ourselves spiritually so that we can run the race the way that it was supposed to be run. And that is in such a way as to win the prize. Number three, conversation starts by listening. So here's why I want to introduce you to Christian meditation. I know meditation sounds kind of zen or out there for some. Some of you have go, oh, meditation, I know that. I've, I've been in yoga before. Well, it's very different than that. Christian meditation is the ability to hear God's voice and to obey it. Richard Foster notes that in our contemporary society, uh, our adversary, the devil, majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. And if he can get us engaged in muchness and manyness, uh, he will rest satisfied because if we're always moving, if we're always doing a lot of things and we're never by ourselves, we will seldom have the time to consider what we're doing, at what cost we're doing it, and with whom we're doing it. Christian meditation is the ability to hear God's voice and obey it. It's the emphasis on faithfulness to God, meaning I'm connected to a particular God and only Him, Jesus, only Jesus. Okay, that faithfulness to God coupled with an emphasis on obedience that really separates Christian meditation from its Eastern counterparts. Eastern meditation, for instance, is an effort to really empty the mind, whereas Christian meditation is really focused on filling the mind. Uh, Eastern meditation is very much about detachment. It's, it's, it's about kind of detaching yourself for the world, from the world. Christian meditation is about detaching yourselves from things that are toxic to you, but then attaching yourself to Jesus so that his goodness can support us, his spirit can breathe into us. And God, as we looked at in Revelation chapter 3 earlier, he delights in our communion with him. And meditation is really that communication between the lover and the loved, between God and us. It's a practice that depends somewhat on focus, and allowing us to rest in thought, in particular, on a particular God, a particular Savior, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior, and the awe-inspiring beauty of relationship to Him through His Word. Fourth, good listeners give their full attention. So if you're looking to be a good conversation partner from God, and if you really want to learn from Him, prepare yourself for meditation. Begin by finding a place that is quiet and free from interruption. That means no telephone nearby. I would encourage you to pick the same place and pick the same time every day if you can, instead of hunting for a new spot every day or trying to squeeze it in in the cracks. Pick a spot, pick a time, and just go for it. 
posture. Just like if you're going to hike a football, you're going to do one thing. If you're going to get in a fight, there's a posture you take, right? Uh, if you're getting ready to do certain things, there's a posture. Uh, the ancients would, would say, take a receiving posture in what you're doing, meaning you don't do something where, okay, I'm here to, to talk to God. That's important, but that's really not meditation. Meditation is the listening side of prayer. It's the place where we sit back and we are willing to receive from God what he has to teach us. And then I would encourage you to always have scripture at hand, either in your heart, memorized, or an actual Bible. I would encourage you in these kinds of cases when you're doing meditation not to use the Bible app because it is a phone and it has notifications and things like that. And it's too easy to get distracted. We have too much of a Pavlovian response to our phones, I think, for those to be really productive for us today. So get a, an actual Bible or even take a, a piece of paper and hand write out a scripture on it. Okay, Meditation then becomes one side of prayer. It's that part of the dinner conversation where we don't talk back. We listen. It's the listening side. Prayer is the interactive relationship, if you will, that we have with God about what we and God are working on together. But Christian meditation is the listening side of that relationship. Now, it takes a lot more effort to stop talking than we might think. And so we need to prepare ourselves for that. And if we're really paying attention, we can't be multitasking or checking our spiritual phones, if you will, while we say that we're listening. And then lastly, I want to leave you with this. God is always speaking. We, unfortunately, are not always listening. Now, there are numerous ways that people, uh, the mystics and people who've really done a lot of meditation over the years, uh, have found to listen to God. Now, there are numerous ways to listen to God. One of those, and the one that really forms the foundation, is Meditation on Scripture. This is the foundation for everything that's there. Now, you can see how important it is in Psalm chapter 1. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. He says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So here he's talking about the, the importance of meditating on the law of God and how that makes us like a stream planted by or a tree planted by streams of water. So Bible study is different. Bible study is, is where I'm opening up the word, I'm digging in and I'm trying to do what's called exegesis, uh, kind of to draw out is what that means. This is different. This is where I am uh, internalizing and personalizing the message in a very deep way. So I don't pass over the passage superficially. I don't just kind of read through it, blessed are the one who da-da-da-da-da, not doing that. I'm stopping and I am taking it piece by piece and I'm dwelling deeply on it. Ignatius of Loyola taught his students to apply all their senses to the task, he said. When you're, when you're doing these things, when you're meditating, Take time, apply all your senses, smell the tea, hear the lap of water along the shore, see the crowd, feel the sun on your head and the hunger in your stomach, taste the salt in the air, touch the hem of his garment. Lectio divina is another fancy word for a, a version of this practice where you spend either word by word or phrase by phrase serious time reflecting very deeply on certain words. So for instance, if we were gonna use Psalm 23, which starts, the Lord is my shepherd. Lectio Divina would say, okay, you take a, a piece, 
of that and start and, and piece by piece spend serious time reflecting. So you might go, instead of saying, the Lord, my shepherd, I shall not want, it's the Lord. And you spend five minutes, 10 minutes just thinking about that, meditating on that. The Lord is. And five minutes on that. The Lord is my. And you spend five minutes on that. And then the Lord is my shepherd. And you spend five minutes on that. But you're taking a passage that's called Lectio Divina. And when you do that, you're taking the time to internalize the message of that and to listen to God and allow him to make one of those divine impressions on your spirit as you go. Now, there's another way. This is called recollection. Uh, that's the way it was referred to in the Middle Ages, or centering down is how the Quakers put it. Uh, and this is very much a posture form of meditation, and it's very simple. Uh, you start palms up like this, and that, the idea there is that, uh, actually, you start the opposite. Let me rephrase that. You go down, uh, and you're releasing things to God. So you put your, your hands out like this, and so as you're reflecting, you're, 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 you're letting go of things. I'm angry at so-and-so. Uh, you know, God, I'm surrendering this, I'm surrendering this, I'm surrendering this, and you're letting go of things, you're releasing, and then you turn your palms the other way at a certain point, and you receive from God. So it's the releasing and receiving, releasing and receiving, okay? Uh, third, this is a big one here in California that some of you are familiar with, but I think sometimes we get led astray by this a little bit uh, with our familiarity with yoga and some other things. Um, meditation on creation, okay? Now, this is not pantheism. Pantheism is a belief that basically creation is God. Um, there's panentheism. God is in creation. This is different. This is a, what you might call a majestic monotheism in which the creator of the universe, God himself, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he shows something of his glory to us in creation. So reflecting or meditating in this particular way, it might be something as basic as taking a flower off a bush that you see in your backyard um, and just taking the time to really consider its shape and its beauty and how uh, precise it's crafted by God. Uh, one of the things I did just this morning, actually, there was uh, we have a ton of baby hummingbirds in our backyard right now. I don't know where the nest is or how they got there. Uh, they're, they're cute. They sound terrifying at first. They sound like big carpenter bees in your, in your ear, but they're all over the place. And so I just sat there and watched this little hummingbird kind of go up to the um, bougainvillea right there and do his thing. And he stared at me and I stared at him and we just kind of, you know, had a little thing there all of a sudden. And I just watched it and I go, boy, isn't creation just spectacular? I'm an avid hiker. I love going up on mountains and looking out and, and quoting scripture and thinking about the greatness of God, you know, and looking out um, at, at um, you know, just, just quoting scripture that I've memorized as I, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where did my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, or the heavens declare the glory of God, you know, things like that. Meditating on creation, you can look at the ocean or you can look at um, a newborn child. I mean, there's so much majesty in just the gift of life. So um, all of those are there. This is one that's more hip these days, but I want to draw a distinction here. This is to meditate on the events of our time and their significance. Now, what I'm not talking about here is watching the news. That is not what I'm talking about. Meditation on current events and their significance means 
uh, reflecting deeply on the experience of our fellow humans in an effort to gain some prophetic perspective. And what I mean by that is just the ability to, to sense what God's will is in that situation, to ask for guidance on how to be salt and light in a current situation. So, for instance, uh, to just watch the news, hear a story, and get triggered and be mad is not reflecting, it's not meditating on current events and their significance. The way that we would do this is, for instance, uh, I, I did this the other day. Um, I was down on Grand Avenue. There was a homeless uh, lady sitting on a bus bench down there. And you can easily just pass by those folks and not think about it. Uh, but I happened to be waiting for somebody, so I decided to take some time to reflect. And so we were looking at, at and, and kind of just looking at her, praying for her, asking, you know, God, putting yourself before God and asking him to, to just kind of teach you. I'm listening. What do you want me to hear? What do you want me to, to, uh, to understand about this? And not being afraid to feel things. You'll be amazed at how God helps you see things differently if we start by releasing things. I'm not coming in here to be mad. I'm not coming in here to, to do whatever. But what does it mean when I see, um, if you're watching a four-year-old walk around with a mask on in the street? And spending some time thinking about that. What does that mean? What's the significance of that? God, what, how can I be salt and light? Um, when you see a, a business owner frustrated behind the counter because their, their business is struggling uh, and they're frustrated and they're scared, rather than just going, okay, I'm going to get out of there because they're stressing me out, actually taking the time to reflect on that, spend time thinking about that image in your head. How can I be helpful? God, how can we be salt and light. So there are all these different ways that we can listen to God. And I'll close by saying this, a meditation is not the kind of thing that there is a manual for. There's no place that you go, you kind of learn to do meditation by trying it and by doing it and trying it again and again and again. And so we're starting again, we, we did prayer last week, but we're going to look at meditation today because it's the listening part of the conversation, which is the most important part of the conversation when you're talking to God. We're talking to the God who stands at the door and knocks and wants to be with us, who wants to have communion with us. And if that doesn't blow your mind, I mean, I don't know what you could have going on that's more important or, or, or of more value than that. So as we take this turn toward the Lord's table, I want to read you a passage and ask you to meditate on it. Here it is. This is John chapter 6, verse 35. As we gather around the Lord's table, think about this. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So as you think about those words, think about how loaded that is, and if you spend the time to think and consider the beauty of that and how important that is. He is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. And so as you take the bread in your hand in just a moment, remember these words. Let them bounce around in your mind and in your heart and ask God to teach you as you take it. This is what meditation is like. Conversation with God. So with that in mind, I'd like to offer a word of prayer for us as we gather around the Lord's table. Let us pray. Father, now as we gather around the table, just as you spoke to us through 
the prophets of old. You speak to us through scripture and you've spoken to us most powerfully through your son, Jesus Christ. We remember him now and we give you thanks that he is the bread of life and that we as those who come to him will never go hungry and we will never be thirsty. And so now as we hold in our hands the emblems of communion, the bread and the cup, we remember this now and we say thank you, Father. Make an impression on us today. Help us to know how filling you are and how you refresh and renew and sustain us every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.